0: Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the episode. We're excited to dive in today. Glad to have you with us. We've got Bruce Willette joining us. He is the founder and owner of Bakerson. They're an investment firm and we're going to dive into all the details there, and hopefully share some some insights and uh, and uh, stories with you here. But without further ado, Bruce, welcome! Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So look forward to kind of diving in and learning, you know, some about your story, and then we'll bring it up to what you guys are doing today and executing in the in the investment space. But just to back up and get us started. Uh, tell us about you.
1: What, you know, where are you from, and how did you come to real estate? Well, it's uh, first of all that you know, my company name is Bakerson. I tell everybody I'm an SOB. I'm a son of a baker. I uh, yeah. grew up in the bakery business in uh, Minneapolis, the Woollett Bakeries. If you're from the Twin Cities, you'll know who people know who that is. So it's a bakery business in Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Grew up in that business, and then I realized I wanted to move on to other things. I got into executive recruiting, also known as headhunting. Sure. Did that for four years. Um, got into, moved to Arizona, got into medical device sales for a year and then that didn't go as planned and then I, or as I wanted. So then I got into a drug education business, did that for a year, broke even after a year and said, well, that's not what I want to do. And, and I had read, um, rich dad, poor dad, which it sounds like a lot of people have. And it just made me think that, Hey, I could get into real estate. So that would have been, uh, 2001, mm-hmm. 2002, 2001. Got into some real estate, uh, single family, a duplex or three houses, duplex and a triplex and started my real estate career then. Uh, but actually right prior to that, I should say I was in uh, tax lien foreclosures is where I got introduced to real estate um, and mentored on that. But then I got into buying you know, properties, using other people's money um, and doing uh, profit splits. Did that. Um, so we did that. 2002, I met Jack. Jack Martin and I started off. His dad was also a, a baker. That's where we came up with the name Son, His dad and my dad both worked for my grandfather in Minneapolis. So oh, wow. um, we ended up circling back and we joined forces. He did the repairs. I found the properties and pretty soon we found more properties we could possibly sell uh, or fix and sell. So I got into wholesaling and became one of the most prolific uh, wholesalers in Phoenix. We did over 2000 um, flips and we oh fixed goodness. maybe fixed maybe a dozen of them average hold time was 52 days on um, your wholesales or on the yeah. uh, what
0: uh, what kind of spreads were you guys getting out of those i know phoenix is a really hot market for a long time for uh, for wholesaling
1: right yeah it was actually uh because of the we we're more like the, the the walmart than the neiman marcus so we did uh yeah. we averaged 5800 a flip and just turned and turned turned and burned um and we had, uh, like I said, the biggest year, we did 287 homes, wholesaling. And then what happened yes. is everything changed. Things went electronic. And you know that how what happened there and people were going online, they were bidding online, getting title yep. insurance, getting the loan. And I, we, we were still still doing the, uh, the little yellow notes. Yeah, that's right. Popping them yep. off at doors. Yep. And so that slowed down and we had a tough time competing. So we started flipping multifamily. We started flipping, um, and we actually wholesaled. And, you know, get fees, 25 to hundred thousand per, per deal, yep. did a few of those and found out that, Hey, if we buy them, fix them and sell them, we can do that. We know how to do that. So yep. we did a few houses and so that would have been our first wholesale we had picked up in 2014. I mean, first mo- uh, multifamily, I should say first multifamily is 2014 and that's a 64 unit. So that got us up to the last uh, six years, six and a half years. That's
0: interesting. So you took you took the skill set that you'd seen. You know, you you weren't scared of uh, beat up houses or problems because you know all the all the single family stuff. There's never a good story uh, behind why you're getting a smoking deal on a a beat up house. So you get kind of acclimated to that. Sounds like you'd also gotten acclimated to OPM, which is a huge component of of scaling a lot of real estate business. Real estate pretty capital intensive, but once you figure out how to use other people's money, you basically have Unlimited capital, you know, obviously it's not that easy. But what was the? Um, and then you wholesaled some multifamily, which is interesting. Did you guys just assign the contract? Because I don't see a lot of that on multifamily. Is the same as a single family stuff? Just assigned. Yeah, we
1: just assigned it to some known operators. We, this was before the market. This would have been 2012, 13. The market wasn't um, as hot as it is now. Things were not going to market. Right. Um, investors that were selling were rather embarrassed. And they, so they just sold it quietly because they're losing money or breaking even. And it was like, they didn't want, they did not want that marketed out. And and then they can just tell people, well, oh, I exited the deal. Cause they, it was some huge losses. Not like the houses, the houses were hit a lot worse. Multi-family was spared a little bit more, right? but they were, I mean, we were looking at deals at 35, 40,000 a door. And we we're like, man, how does that pencil? The yep. same ones are going for one fifty today. It's like, wow, if we would have just held on to a couple of them. Right. Well, yeah. Hindsight always, but, uh, I know it's, but it's fun. It's fun to look back and say, Hey, how can we learn from this and do something with that in the future? So. A- absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that's great. You're able to, that's an interesting deal. Uh, an owner was embarrassed and didn't want a big show and a call for offers. Just take it off my plate, get it out of here. I love it. That's a great opportunity. And so through doing that, you got to see kind of the financials on some multifamily and connect the dots that eh, we
1: could do this. Right. Yeah. And the first, uh, first two deals were actually still, um, two of my favorites. Um, if you want to dive into those now, or, or, oh, later yeah, the sure. show. so there's a 64 unit was a, a fascinating deal. The individual that was running it, um, was having, he was struggling and he did not have the capital to put into it. Yep. And he had a loan that had a defeat since pretty serious, but 180,000 bucks that he would have to come to the table and he just, we were going round and round. So what we did is, um, we bought the LLC and kept him on as a manager. Without nice. any without any voting rights um, Love in it. the documents, we protected it so that he stayed on, and then we uh, we set we set up an e, a Gmail account, and the uh, asset manager then sent Wells Fargo. Hopefully, they're not listening. Wells Fargo a note that said, "Hey, we're taking over the asset management for this. Can you send us the updated or here's the updated financials for this quarter?" And they say, "Okay, here's our plan. We're going to vacate the, we're going to vacate these buildings by building, and we're going to we're going to change it from uh, 60 one bedrooms and four, two bedrooms to, um, 20 studios, 21 bedrooms and 24 um, two bedrooms. And so we've gave them the plans. So we're going to have a dip in, in income. We're going to, have, we're going to lose money, but here's our balance sheet. Here's some money that shows that we're going to do this. We shared everything with them. Wells Fargo said, fine. And then at each quarter we had to send them updated financials. We went exactly according to plan. They did not call the note. As soon as the note became, uh, the defeasance was over. We sold the property <clears throat> at that point. Beautiful. And then we paid uh, the previous owner the rest of his money, so he was happy. He got you know, we left some of his money in the in the deal, so that he would um, he would stay on as as uh, on the LLC. So we would, didn't have to call the note. Yeah, you basically so that was pretty, pretty saved bacon, what We did right. We did, and we and we made money on the way, so that was fun. Yeah. And then the second one was hundred and twenty unit. It's uh was forty. I'm sorry, thirty four plexes on ten acres out in Glendale, and that one there the the only person making money was the property manager who was also one of the owners. And they had called the note, the lender had called the note. And so somebody was trying to fund fundraise for it and he couldn't get the money across the finish line approached my partner, Jack, said, Hey Jack, I need some help. Can you guys do this? He said, when's, when's it due? We got 21 days. So we, we said, well, there's no risk for us to try. So we scrambled, we reached out to our network, talked to people, 21 days, we got a hard money lender and an invest, one in, or a group of investors. To, uh, to fund the deal and did our first uh, multifamily syndication. We had done uh, previous syndications, but not in multifamily. And then held that one for, uh, I think it was 18, 18, 19 months and investors got nearly 21% return on on their money. So it was a really good deal for us. Love it, outstanding. So that was, did we saved two people's bacon there. It was really exciting that we were able to, uh, to solve somebody else's problem which is different from today's market. People don't have problems. Now people are pre-taking profits. Now we're creating our own problems is how can we buy at a sub four cap in a C minus neighborhood on an underperforming asset? I'm like, man, I just don't see it. So that's a whole nother show.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's a a different world today. How much of the skills, like I guess what I would call the scrappy entrepreneur skills from the single family days, how much of that translated to success in those first early uh, deals? Because it sounds like you did some some out of the box type of stuff on those first couple of multifamily deals.
1: Yeah, actually we still do. Um, Love frankly, it. one of one of the Love things that we're, we're doing like one, we brought a property of 74 units, um, highly mismanaged was 50% occupied. Um, the slumlord was cannibalizing units to preserve like, you know, how they do. And, and she was running out of inventory because their units were running out of, you know, they're running out of units to steal from. Yep. Um, and it's not stealing, it's your own unit, but to, to cannibalize. So we ended up buying that one, ran it down to 17 occupied units out of 74. Yeah. And then we sold that, uh, sold that just recently. That was a recent sale we did pretty well on that one. So we're willing to take those high, high, um, heavy lift that appear to be high risk. We buy them at the right price per, price per unit, price per square foot. And now because we can't find on the market, we're getting outbid on almost everything that we're, we're yep. on performing u- units. We're making offers, uh, you know, one a week and we're getting out, out outbid by quite a bit. So what we did is, um, which we're not the first ones that have done it. We've followed, others have done this nationally as we were buying a closing. Uh, supposed to close tomorrow, be a slight delay, probably next week on a um, quality in, and we're going to turn that into from a hundred unit motel into a 65 unit apartment building. Um, I love it. That's, that's, that's I, where we, that's outside the box still.
0: Yeah. and That's a great point that you bring up. We're talking here in, uh, you know, Q1 2021 hotel sector, is kind of the first to suffer in, 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 in distressing times like COVID uh, you got huge multifamily demand prices getting bid up. But you get a lot of hotels, right? That's tell tell us about the business plan on that. It's really, uh, um, I've heard a couple other guys doing that. I think that's really intriguing. What's the? Is it a huge lift? Is it a total turnaround? Or are these things pretty much geared to, to just be teed
1: up for for multifamily units? Well, this is one thing that that I think is very important. If people are interested in doing this, make sure it's absolutely paramount. You check with city code to see what needs to be done. Right. Because, and I'll get into that in a minute, but the um, it's, it's a hundred units and the current owner says that he has enough cash flow to cover the bills or enough cash flows to cover the mortgage, but not both. So he's, he's got money. He's got enough, he's got deep enough prof, uh, pockets. But yep. He's not sure how long this will be. Well, this is down in Southern Arizona, not far from the border, small uh, MSA, you know, 40,000 people in the city, 100,000 in the MSA maybe so it's a pretty small area south of Tucson. Yep. Uh, but here's the challenge that we thought was really really unique for us is there's a demand there for units being rented for under $1,000 a month. And if you're renting for $900 a month um, southern Arizona that's a B property. That's not a C. C is going to be 750 for a one bedroom. We'll get 950. So it's it is a uh, maybe 800 on a C, but it's a it's definitely a, a B. So you can't build for that. I mean, it, oh, it, yeah. Yeah, this it, you build. You're not. You need to get a lot more than nine fifty a month in rent. So what do you do? You buy something that's suffering, and we're buying it for thirty eight dollars and fifty cents a square foot, and then we're fixing it for around the same. So we end up about seventy five dollars a square foot, which our estimate is about half of uh, replacement cost. So we're it's very safe from a stand, standpoint of uh, per square foot. The heaviest lift on this one, like I mentioned a minute ago, was. The things you need to do to make it from a motel to an apartment. There's two things that were very, very um, important for us to, to get bids on prior to making our offer. One is the electrical. Yep. We're bringing in uh, stoves, we're bringing in uh, refrigerators and it's gonna be a lot more drawn. There's just there's just not enough power to the unit so we gotta rerun electrical. And then the second thing is sprinkler systems. Uh, the city requires sprinkler systems throughout the building. Um, there isn't any as uh, sufficient now so between the two of those, that's that's a few. That's our biggest expense. It's a few hundred thousand dollars on a multifamily, huh?
0: I guess that's re- that would be required on new construction multifamily anyway. And they're they're applying they're that. It's
1: probably, probably yeah, probably required on new construction Uh yeah. motels probably too. This you know it's probably built in the seventies. The beauty behind this building, it's block walls, concrete floor, concrete ceiling, concrete roof. It's a two story, wow. nice. So it's like a bunker. Sure. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna run the electrical and the plumbing down the hallways and then punch it through the walls and it, yeah. it's going to be dropped and it's going to be, it's going to look nice when we get done. It, it looks like it belongs. Um, so really excited. And then the, we're combining some units. So we have 31 studios, 31, one bedrooms and three, two bedrooms. And then I guess it's a 65 units. So a we'll punch hole in the wall, turn one of the bathroom, you know, one of the bathrooms will turn into the kitchen and, you know, the, the bathroom and the bedroom and a, a, a motel will turn into a kitchen and living area. And the other one will be the bathroom in the bedroom. And so we've got those floor plans laid out and, uh, it's really gonna be exciting. Now we'll deliver those units. There's, like I say, there's demand for those units in, in the city, but we just can't, um, can't build for that. But here's build. how we can deliver units to the market at a fraction of uh, replacement cost. And we've solved the problem of the motel owner. We've solved the problem of, of bringing units to market and we're, and we're supplying, uh, B properties with granite countertops, shaker cabinets, stainless appliances at, a uh, under a thousand dollars a month in rent. So that's really, really, um, powerful. I think.
0: Yeah. Huge value. That's entrepreneurial thinking at its finest, solving problems, uh, delivering products where there's a lot of demand for it. Are you guys just focused in Arizona? Or are you, are you nationwide? What, what's, what's that look like?
1: We're, we're only Arizona we've done. Um, we're, we're a small operator and that we've done, this will be our 18th project uh, multifamily in Arizona total. We've done around 900 units. Um, since we started the, uh, the multifamily repositioning. And right. what, we, what we've shifted though, we've sold everything except for one building and we're shifting from a buy, fix and sell to buy, fix and uh, cash flow. Yep. One of, our, one of the passions I have is serving the underserved and the underserved to me is C-class residents. And I see how they're treated by other operators that are only in it for the money. Right. And that really bothers me when I see how they treat them as second-class citizens. They're making a lot of money at, right now in the current market. And they're not taking care of their residents and to me that's that's um that's a crime not literally but you know what i mean it's, it's just not right for people to treat residents that way so our focus we have hyper focus on the residents i've seen what we did in the single family when we were selling wholesaling houses we ended up selling um the last couple of years over 50 percent were sold to homeowners and we had creative financing at the time because they under fifty thousand you couldn't get a a bank loan so we right. did creative financing solved a problem it's the entrepreneurial spirit right we're seeing the same thing. Our, you know, our focus is the permanent resident and you know one who may never own a home, but would like to live in one. And that's the type of thing that we really focus on and, and then creating communities that are safe, functional, durable, and clean. Um, so with Love that, I, there's not I, a I, lot of people that focus on the resident like we do. Uh, they, they pitch their product and it's all about the money, money, money. And I think if you take care of the residents, the money will take care of itself.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's the, the, the term... Slumlord is, is out there for a reason, you know, yes. which is sad, uh, you know, to your point, but uh, create some opportunity as well. So one of the things I love about this business, if you can create win-win situations, investors, residents, the operating company, um, you can go do a whole bunch
1: more of it. If, if everybody wins it's a sustainable business model there um how well, are you guys as far as the market as far as the market yeah. we are looking now um we have made some offers on properties in texas and we are now going to look at el paso just because the the cap rates about double what it is here not quite it's instead of four it's six sure uh six to seven so there's some opportunity there and it's it's a stable it's not a booming market so you're not gonna see the sure. same lift but i'm not sure how much runway we have left here and i'm pretty conservative i'd rather uh I'd rather stop, you know, sell before the peak than than after the peak. Be stuck in a refinance issue, sale issue. So it's it's difficult to project what it's going to be and how much runway we have. Yeah, of course. It looks really positive and rosy now. Always does. One more, one economic, one more, one economic crash, one more virus, and, and we're in trouble.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, El Paso is interesting. I've got uh, I know Kenny Wolf's got some deals out there that uh, seems to seems to like operating in that market. Um, how did you guys structure the capital stack for this for this most recent conversion project? Is it just bank loan plus some investor equity?
1: Is it more complex than that? It's uh it's private. It's a private loan uh, because it's a uh, heavy lift and it's going from motel to apartment. When we approached the banks, they said they'll finance it once it's a multifamily, once it's established yeah. Um, yeah. rental property. But yeah. being that. In between there, we are going to keep um, probably 30 of the units occupied during the initial phase of construction until the permitting is done to get some income in because they're, they're running about 30% occupied right now. So we'll do month to month, which falls, falls under hotel regulations. And we're not violating, um, any city code as far as, um, there won't be any leases there, Right, just be month to month. And then, um, so then we went to private lender and then we're doing a, uh, we syndicated and uh, the, the rest of it. Yep.
0: Yep. Do you guys have a typical structure that you put together for your, for your limited partners or is
1: it kind of deal by deal? How do you set that up? It's deal by deal for one like this. Um, uh, you know, the, the, probably the biggest challenge we have in meeting investors is there's no, there's because of the heavy lift we do, there's no distributions in the first year and sometimes the sure. first 18 months. Sure. Um, because if there's no cash flow, uh, it's not a debt in- instrument. So the, the prep is, is accumulated, but it's not, um, compounded, so that you don't pay return, you don't pay interest on interest. It's just the the pre, eight, eight pref gets picked up at the back end. Sure. Yeah, I mean it, um, it, it's
0: understandable and, and basically yeah. what is a development project almost right or redevelopment. Yeah.
1: So they get so they get paid before we do um, outside sure. of the fees that we have and we have fees, we have acquisition fee, project management fee, asset management fee. Um, we keep it relatively simple as far as the fee structure goes. Yep. Um, we we had more fees and it just got you know, smaller, but just got too confused. Why are you taking this? And then people were slicing and dicing. So we just have the acquisition, project management, asset management, and then disposition, but we don't always take the disposition fee because if you, if you hire a broker to sell it, then um, you may or may not get anything out of that. Um, and then the, the structure on this one is um, is, is 80, 20 until their capital is returned, then it's 50, 50. And so then their capital, we're gonna return their capital as fast as we can, um, somewhere somewhere between year three and five. Year three, nice. they'll get some of it back, year five, get the rest. And the motivation for that is to return their capital and keep them in the deal. So they'll still be owners in these deals indefinitely. And so the, the return keeps coming. They get their money back and then they can reinvest. And the, the hope is they'll reinvest with us. But if not, they reinvest somewhere else. They still, they're still they still getting two returns on the same dollar. Yeah. And then in a 10-year yeah. period, maybe they'll get three or four different investments if we do this right. And the market's favorable for that. They might have three or four investments with the same dollar and they're still part owners. So in the beginning... The returns look a little bit small, but over time, it's like, wow, man, I'm getting, you're, you're keeping me in the deal. This is great. I have no money in there and now I'm getting a return. I'm still getting a return. So that's very favorable to them. And the returns go up as the property ages because your the values go up, the rents go up and you just leave the mortgage.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you've got uh, all capital return, your your cash on cash return becomes that infinity sign and you can go redeploy it. That's investment nirvana right there. So that's worth that's worth a little upfront, missing some distributions. And really, I mean, investors in these projects shouldn't be counting on a PREF payment to buy their groceries.
1: That's usually not
0: the case, right? So-
1: well, we, we, we made that. We had investors like that, that if they didn't get their distributions, um, they were hurting. And we found out that, in fact, we have a, a I call it a 2020 rule, that, that one investor cannot be more than 20% of the equity. And sure. we, we, we will not accept more than 20% of an individual's net worth. So somebody's Good. worth, if they're not accredited and they're worth 50 grand,
0: don't give me 50 grand. Don't give me the money. Yeah. No, Same.
1: because then Same. if something happens, I, we've had that happen where people are panicking and it worked out, but it's just, it's just not a fun phone call when they're like, oh, you said it would be 12 to 18 months. We're in, in month 13. And you know, when is it going to be? And it ended up being 19 months, one month over and they're panicking. And, and it's like, Whoa, we just can't have that. We're a developer. People that are in the development world, Investors in that world, they understand that they get it. Yeah, it's a target that the day that you build the spreadsheet, it's broken. We all know that. (laughs) I love it, but the non syndicated ones, non non sophisticated investors don't know that. Right? You said we're gonna get this, and we didn't get that. And they start, they spend a lot of time. Um, you said that the refrigerator, the uh, putting in uh, new AC units was gonna be you know X amount and it it ended up being more. How come? What did you you guys do wrong? It's like, well, we did nothing wrong, these were estimates. And as you know, cost of materials has skyrocketed in the last year. And you try to explain that to people that aren't sophisticated. So we're moving to sophisticated investors with more that have more patience and more experience.
0: Yeah, that's great. I've had, you know, Million investor calls over the years, but somebody was asking me, "Well, you guys are paying a, a seven pref on this deal. I can get a line of credit at four and take the spread." And I was like, "Let me stop you right there, man. You don't borrow money to invest LP uh, in a deal. You don't. You don't do it with capital that you are counting on for your bills. It just you, you got to be in a different space in your life if you're going to start parking money as a passive investor. So, I mean, it's just you know. But uh, well, go people- ahead
1: if you can outrun the snowball when the market." Market shifts. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, sure. But I mean, it's, you can't. It's it's wild. So, um, what does the team look like uh, today? Is it still you and your partner? Is it is it uh, you know? Is it third party property management in house? What's the corporate team look like? How have you guys structured that over the years?
1: Yeah. Well, my business partner and I, we ended up splitting, uh, going different ways. Uh, gosh, five five six years ago. Uh still good friends. Jack Jack Martin and I are still really good friends. Great guy. He he moved down with another guy and they're doing um mobile home parks which is a much slower growth. It's a great business model. Sure, seems like my, it. but know. it just doesn't fit my ADD and it was hard to find the hard <laughs> to find the deals like you can with apartments. At least we thought at the time. Now you can't find anything, but um so we have uh, on staff there's my my son's the acquisitions director. Oh cool. Uh, we have a uh, we have uh, my son-in-law is the project manager. Um property and project newer is the projects and materials and yep. now he's taken over some of the asset uh my brother-in-law is uh is the accountant he's a CPA he's got a masters in accountancy he's weird because he loves numbers and i, I don't understand basic accounting it's pretty funny <laughs> um but so, so then we have a you know we have a guy that does podcast for us uh Ruben Greth so Ruben. shout out to Ruben I've talked he to him. Yeah. yeah he has he's really really good at what he does his his oh, yeah. podcast has been phenomenal and then Eric does our marketing, um, so we and he does marketing and sales. So right now we're a little bit overstaffed what we're doing, but it we're but as soon as you get a couple of two two three more deals, all of a sudden we're going to be scrambling. Yep. We do not in, we do not uh, vertically integrate. We tried uh, in-house property management and it became a squirrel. Our we're really 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 strong at acquisition. That's where our strengths yep. are, and our gaps. Our capital raising has been a gap. It's not my passion, and sure. so it makes it difficult. Uh, so that's that's where we're doing some partner with with co-gps and other individuals to bring um, bring capital in, and then um, so the big, biggest thing we do is we find the deal and we create the opportunity and get creative in being the entrepreneurial side and then plug in the property managers, which uh, is very important to, to screen those. By the way, anybody that's just oh, getting yeah. started, huge. Um, we went through, we we had one that spent uh, between two properties ninety grand without authorization. And so we t- contacted our attorney. What do we do? We, we, can't, we don't have the money to pay this. We don't want to do a capital call. He says, well, there's no, no lawsuit because you uh, you benefited. The property has been fixed up. I said, yeah, but it was done without our authorization. Then we had these people banging on our doors. We had to set up a payment plan with them because um, doing a capital call with investors like that then would be difficult. So we ended up working yeah. with, the, with the individuals that, that did the work, but they, had, they got uncere- unceremoniously let go, the property yeah. management company. We don't mind if you spend money, but just authorize it. Hey, this is what we need to do this month. We're a little behind how, what's the best way to handle it and work as a team. Yep. And we have that now with the company we're working with. And, yeah, um, and I think uh, firing a property management
0: company is a rite of passage, you know, as an operator. I mean. Uh, yeah, but to do point. it
1: three times on one property in, a, in two well, years was really painful. That's in, including ourselves. We set up our own property management company. We fired ourselves. <laughs> well, well it's just hard to staff. And uh, Oh, yeah. It was emotionally it was emotionally draining for me to oversee property management and I didn't yes. realize that although I want I know what I wanted the outcome managing the people that manage the property it takes a certain gift and that's just not me I, there's I'm, just inherent drama there it re- yeah. there is I don't think you can get away from it yeah th- that's right um, so but what's really important for me devin is when you're looking at what you do it's also it's very important the investors know what we don't do yeah. what do we buy and what do we not buy yep and what do we chase and what do we not chase? So it's very important that people know what you don't do. That, hey, we don't do this very well, so we hire it out. We find experts to fill those gaps. Yep. As opposed to trying to be the answer to everybody on everything, it, this doesn't exist unless you're a huge corporation like a Blackstone where they have incredible systems in place. But they also hire third-party proper, or third party property managers on some of their properties. They don't do yeah, them all in-house. That'll
0: tell you something, sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, the one in Phoenix that, that they just, uh, just got awarded to somebody else, it was managed by a, um, a third party. So you do what you do best and hire out the rest.
0: Yeah. I love it. That's, that's a, that's a soundbite right there. How was it yeah. working with your son? My, my, old, my two sons are interested in real estate. They're younger, trying to kind of show them some stuff.
1: Uh, good, bad, uh, little of both. Um, almost, almost all good. What we did is we've established, um, when I grew up in the, working for my dad in the bakery business, I said, you know what? We had my dad and my, his, my uncle and some cousins. And I was pretty young. And as far as the food chain goes with the people that were in the business, I had cousins that were my bosses that were older than me. Yep. And I said, you no, know I'm just not going to have a, I'm not going to do a family business. And so Jack and I started our business. I said, you get all the employees. I'll do this stuff over here. And all of a sudden all the employees worked for me. And I'm like, well, how'd that happen? <laughs> I don't want employees. I'm looking around. I, I don't want you guys here. Yeah. I was teasing. But, uh, but it found out that if, if you just let the employees be entrepreneurial and let them do their thing, so that um, when my son was going to school, he became a diesel mechanic. He was going to school for a diesel mechanic. and He was frustrated at the dealership, said, hey, can I come work for you? I said, no. He hmm. why not? I said, you can come work for your uncle Mike, who my brother was working for me at the time in construction. And you could work for him for one year. And after one year, if you're still here, we'll see where we go. He worked for Mike for, with, you know, worked indirectly for me at my company, but worked for Mike for 13 months. And then he says, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to, to branch this off. And he took over the acquisition. And the, the thing that we've done very, very well is we separate business from work, from pleasure. So we work together. And at the end of the day, it might be, hey, we got everything done. Let's bug out a little early. And my son, me, the son and son in law will head out on our mountain bikes. And yep. you know, we forget about work and we do that. We've gone on vacations together. We've gone on a two-week vacation with uh, my family. My son's married with kids, and and um, so we've been able to do that. But when we're at home, we don't talk about work. We do not discuss business over the dinner table. That's just that's not allowed, and my dad had implemented that growing up. He never discussed business issues at home and separated them, so I've been able to maintain that very well. It's not easy. There's times where we're sitting right. there, and I'm like, man, I got this thing I want to tell him and talk to him about but nope. And so what? sometimes I would. And my son-in-law, Nate, would say, ah, not you can do that. That's tomorrow. We're enjoying the evening here. He would, he would stop us. And so it's good that we have people that are willing to stand up to me, too, on that. So the biggest challenge I've had, Devin, on this whole thing is that somebody else is entrepreneurial. And so I know what I want and I know how to get there. And I want to I want to tell them how to get there. But I, okay. instead, I tell them what to do or what we need and they go do it. And I find out that he's better at relationship building than I am. Mm. He's better at, he's better at sitting down. He'll sit on a phone call for an hour and a half with an interesting investor mm-hmm. or, or partner or broker or whatever. And after 15 minutes, I says, okay, I got this. I'm moving on. You know, I don't develop, my relationships are outside of work, but he's very good at developing that interrelation within the business. And so what I'm doing is I'm rainmaking, bringing the people in, introducing them to him, he massages them. So people say, like people have said, if, if you, if you hook them, we'll cook them. He doesn't cook them. He sautés them. It's real slow process. Gets to know them. <laughs> real flavorful and a great great relationship. Way better than I could ever do. Sure. So it's, it's working well, but it took me, he's been with me you know, eight or nine years. So yeah. it's, been a, it's been a journey. There's been ups and downs, but way more ups than downs. I love it. Yeah, it's an adventure. It's an entrepreneurial adventure.
0: There's no doubt. Well, thanks for sharing that kind of insight into the family business thing. That's interesting. That's likely in my future uh, at some point to contend with some of that stuff. Um, and thank you for sharing your story too. If somebody listening wants to connect to Bruce, learn more about what you guys are doing on your projects, what's a good avenue for that?
1: Well, there's a couple of different ways. Uh, Bakerson.com, B-A-K-E-R-S-O-N.com. Um, you can email me at Bruce at Bakerson.com. And I have uh, been giving out my cell number and people have been reaching out, with, oddly enough. So it's, you're brave. Uh, at first they did it, but now I, on these podcasts, I do. So 520-808-9111. Feel free, call, text, email, smoke signal, whatever you need to get a hold of me and I'll respond.
0: Outstanding. Well, we're going to link to the website, which uh, you guys must have owned Bakerson.com for a while or paid a lot of money for it.
1: No, it was actually when I opened it, was uh, it, it was available just like, wow. um, yeah. So, yeah.
0: Okay, well, that's good. We'll link to the to the uh, website in the show notes. I'm going to make somebody actually listen to get your phone number. I'm, we're not going to publish that anywhere. It's going to end up all over the internet. But if somebody listened to the end, they can they can give you a call. Uh, Bruce, this is really insightful. Really appreciate you sharing your story, and I wish you guys continued success.
1: Well, thanks a lot for having me on. I really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure to be here. Awesome. All right, catch up soon.